Hey, it's small group season on all of our campuses, and I hope you'll get in a small group. It's a way to get to know people, really. What we believe is that worship service is a beginning place, but connections, friendships, community is really where it pays off, and I hope you'll do that. I don't know what's going on at the other campuses, but we rocked it out here at Richmond, didn't we? Really. In the middle of that, about half of us are going, I'm not sure I'm supposed to feel that way in church, but uh, it was amazing. I hope you've had a great time at the uh, Missouri City campus. I hope it was awesome for you, and I hope it's great for you at West End. I know at West End, Jen is visiting there for the first time today, so welcome, Jen. We're glad you're here. And uh, I want to say hi to my mom, who always watches online. And we don't want to forget our friends at the Ramsey Unit, the men there at Ramsey. I just want to say, men, thank you for trusting us enough to come to the service, to experience us. We pray for you. We know your family's going through a difficult time. We know you're in a difficult place. But we want to say we love you, we pray for you, and we care about you. Let's give the men at Ramsey Unit a big hand. Good. So many great things. Hey, if you're not connected, either at West End, Missouri City, or here, uh, man, we have this thing called the family table. And, um, and you, uh, you should come to that. Uh, I think the Richmond's is Wednesday. I think, um, uh, I don't know when the other ones are, but if you're at Missouri City or West End, go check with them. We're glad to be a part of that. We're so, we are growing. We have people today in the Lakeside building and Overflow. We just want to say to you, I'm, I know you didn't plan on being there today, but it's going to be great. You really, they feed you snacks and stuff over there. <laughs> I think they serve wine at noon. I don't know. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Do not email me, please, but I'm glad you're here. But get connected in our family table. It's really a way for me to talk about how to be a part of this mission. We're in an exciting time. This fall at our church is going to be an amazing, amazing season. We're kicking it off next week with a brand new series on relationships called Love Songs and Heartbreaks. So we're going to be doing a lot of fun music, and we're going to talk about our relationships with nobody likes to talk about, but we all need help in. So don't miss that. For sure. Well, we're, we're finishing up the book of Ruth today, and I was thinking about this because yesterday, if you follow me on Instagram, which I don't post very much, but if you follow me on Instagram, you know yesterday I had a home improvement project. We had two toilets in the upstairs that didn't work properly. One wouldn't stop running and one wouldn't run. And then on downstairs, we had, and now I'm just, maybe I'm oversharing. I don't know. But downstairs, the toilet kind of leaked and it needed a new seal. And so I geared up. I got my son Dylan to help me. And I thought, okay, this is it. Uh, we're going to go tackle this. It's about two weeks of mental preparation. I'm not handy. Have I mentioned this? I'm not. If it wasn't for YouTube, I'd be totally lost. So I'm YouTube and stuff and figuring it out. I got to replace the seal. And here's how I predict how big a job it's going to be for me. How many trips to Lowe's is this going to take, right? <laughs> So beforehand, I'm thinking about, okay, I do need a couple of supplies. Okay, I'm going to forget. This is a three-trip deal. I just know it's a three-trip deal. Okay, so I go and I replace it. Man, I tell you, if you've ever worked on toilets, you've got to get in there. I mean, it's like wrestling a bear. There's no dainty way to, man, I'm all in it. I got that toilet off and they have that uh, wax ring thing. What is that? Uh, some sort of seal. And that thing's nasty. It's been at the bottom of your commode and you got to touch it. And then somehow I was wearing gloves, but somehow in the middle of this deal, I got it. I mean, it's like a grease, you know, and it's, and somehow in the middle of this deal, I go, oh, this is gross. Oh, I got I, so close to my lips. Really? I mean, I got, oh, I can uh, smell it. I was like, oh, God, then I'm, I'm freaking out. I'm, oh, 
So bad. So I get there, got the part. I've already made one trip to Lowe's. Get there, and I realize uh, the screw doesn't work. I got to go get Trip two to Lowe's. Here I go. Back to Lowe's. So doing that. Doing the Lowe's, get the, get the screw, the right screw. Okay, got the screw, got the screw there. And I got there and I realized because we got hardwood floors there that I'm going to need an adapter to rise it above, right? Back to Lowe's. <laughs> Third trip to Lowe's. Got there. The, the lady is like, ah, you're back. And I go, yeah, I forget. I forget stuff. But I do self-checkout. It's less embarrassing, you know, just kind of deal. Got in there, got in there. And I'm telling you, it took me three hours, three hours. I know some of you guys are going, what a wimp. I'm going, hey, I accomplished it. So I took a picture of the toilet on my Instagram going, I'm victorious. And I got there and Lisa comes over, looks at the toilet and goes, oh, we're going to need to caulk around the bottom of that toilet. Dang it, four trips to Lowe's. I didn't have any caulk. I had to go back to get some caulk for four trips to Lowe's. And I just thinking, man, there is something about that, that, you know, nothing goes as planned, um, especially when it comes, usually when I'm working on something, I break three things in the process of fixing something and I have to go to Lowe's to get that done. So I'm just, don't call me over to fix anything because I don't know what I'm doing, but YouTube has helped me. Finally, we got it done. Victorious. I conquered that toilet. I beat that toilet. That toilet's not going to beat me. That's right. We had an official flushing ceremony. It was beautiful. Everybody in the bathroom, watch this. And we still don't know if it doesn't leak, but whatever. So I was thinking about that because, you know, nothing goes as plans and everybody has setbacks all the time. And, um, you know, really the quality of your life and mine is really predicated on a couple things, the quality of your relationships and how you bounce back from setbacks. Listen, life's hard for everybody. That's something for all of us. Nobody's got it easy. Everybody's got it hard. There's, there's not, it's not equally hard for everybody. Some people have it very hard, especially if you're poor or live in another part of the world. It's extremely difficult. It's tragic. It's traumatic. I get it. Not everybody, but everybody's life is hard. In fact, if life's not hard for you, you're not doing it right. I mean, seriously, something's wrong because that's the way a broken world operates. And I was thinking about that because that's the story of Ruth and Naomi. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. And they had a little, like two steps forward and three steps back and setback after setback after setback after setback. And so here, here's the deal. Let me give you just a little background. We're going to finish it up in chapter four today. And you're going to kind of see the culmination of really a life of journeying through difficult times. And, and what it is, is if you remember, and you're supposed to be reading this on your own, by the way, but if you remember it, uh, a guy named Elimelech and his wife Naomi uh, experienced a famine. So that was the first setback. It was like life is going good, and they got hungry, and they couldn't eat, so they moved, which they're not supposed to do. They got there. They had a plan, and the plan was we're going to move to Moab. I hear they got good corn over there. We're going to get some corn or whatever it is. And, and they got there, and Elimelech dies. Not what they planned. Big setback. But they had two boys, and so everything was going to be okay. And then all of a sudden, 10, day, 10 years later, those boys die. So now Naomi and Ruth, and there was another daughter-in-law. Do you remember her name? Let's see if you've been reading. Orpha. God. 
show off. Orpah, that's right. Orpah were there, but there were three widows, and, a, and, and, and Naomi was in a foreign land, and it was very difficult. They were destitute, destitute. So she recommended these two girls stay in their homeland, but she was going back to Bethlehem. And so uh, Orpah stayed, but Ruth said, no, 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 no. Where you go, I'll go. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And they went back to Bethlehem. Then they had another setback. They got to Bethlehem, and they had no way to make a living. They had no land. They had no farm. So what they began is became is beggars. And so they went to the fields, and they just so happens, as it turns out, they ended up in whose field? Boaz. Boaz. You just like saying that, don't you? Yeah. Boaz. That's right. They ended up in Boaz's field, who happened to be, who would have known this, who happened to be a relative of Elimelech. And according to Jewish tradition, what could happen is if somebody died, the next of kin could redeem that family by purchasing the land if there was needed to be a repurchase and marrying the widow if that was possible. And so Boaz enters the picture as the kinsman redeemer. Then there's a problem, another setback. Can you believe it? Another setback. And the other setback is Boaz says, I'd like to be your redeemer and I'd like to marry you and I'd like to do all that I'm can do under Jewish tradition and Jewish law, but there's another person that's actually closer in relation to Elimelech that has basically first rights of refusal. So they set out for the next part of their journey. And the next part of their journey is where Boaz is trying to get this other guy to relinquish his redeemer rights. And that's where we pick up the story. Okay, y'all bored? Y'all good? That's all the preamble. This is going to be a long sermon. Okay, here we go. Chapter 4, verse 1. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there, just as the guardian uh, redeemer, the kinsman redeemer, had, had, uh, he had mentioned, came along. And Boaz said, hey, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Now, the town gate is where they conducted business. Remember, there's no title company or legal system or a lot of documentations. Reading and writing was kind of a rare thing. And so they went to the town square or the town gate where everybody could kind of witness transactions and business. So everybody, there was a witness. Well, a couple interesting things about this interaction is, first of all, we don't know the name of the other kinsman. We don't know his name. In Hebrew, which is the original language of the Old Testament, it really kind of says so-and-so, or here it says a friend. Hey, come over here. So they're waiting for this guy. This guy comes up. Everybody's around, including, I would assume, Naomi and Ruth, because they want to see how this comes out. And, and Boaz does something interesting. He starts pitching First of all, this redemption option that this guy doesn't know he has, but he's about to find out in, in regards to the land, to the land. So you have to understand a little bit about the land. I did my study and I Googled this. So here, when the children of Israel, 12 tribes, came to the promised land under Joshua, they were given each tribe and each family in each tribe was giving a par, given a parcel of land. And that land was to never leave the family. This is why there's so much land disputes in Israel today. And so they're never supposed to leave the family. In fact, if you sold that piece of land every 50 years, you had to give the land back to the original family. So it would never leave the family. Or in this case, what happened is Elimelech and Naomi probably sold their land to get the money to move to Moab. So when they came back, they didn't own the land, but the land was still in their family name. So Boaz, I'm talking so fast, Boaz pitches this idea, hey, you know, 
Elimelech's son died, and Elimelech died, and so you're the nearest kinsman, so you can redeem the land, and you can buy the land back. It's totally legal. And so the guy says, we don't know his name, the guy says, oh, I'll do it. I totally want some more land. I'm in. I'm totally in. Then Boaz hits him with this little bit of information. Then Boaz says, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you'll also acquire Ruth, the Moabite. Now again, over and over and over again, you're going to get this, over and over and over again, the author of this story reminds us that Ruth was a foreigner, a Moabite. So Ruth the Moabite. This was kind of an interesting information for the friend, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead man with his property. So there's now, okay. So can you imagine Naomi and Ruth sitting there and they goes, okay, you want Elimelech's land, you're welcome to it, you're the kinsman redeemer. He goes, I'll take it. Can you imagine what Naomi and Ruth were feeling at that moment? Like, wait a minute. This isn't supposed to be like this. I mean, God led us to Boaz's field, and Boaz wants to redeem me. Boaz wants to uh, marry me, and, and now this guy, he's going to, I mean, I'm sure there was sheer panic. If you're like me, it was sheer panic along the way. Then, here it goes. At this, the guardian redeemer said, uh, I'll pass. I'll take the land, not the girl. You know, that's the deal. I can't take the woman, and it's the deal. I cannot redeem it because he was already married, most likely, and had children of his own. And so marrying Ruth, if they had children, it would be difficult to figure out who gets what when this guy dies. And that was really important because land and passing down this land was really all the wealth most people had. Farming the land was a provision for food. So he said, I cannot mess this up for my kids. And so he says, you redeem it yourself. I can't do it. And I'm sure Naomi and Ruth were going, whoo, man, a setback averted. Here we go. And so all of a sudden, this thing happens. And so when you read the story, you'll see this. A weird thing happens. Boaz says, I'll take it. All you are my witnesses, right? He's passing. I'm accepting. I'll not only buy the land back, but I'll marry Ruth, the Moabitess. And I'm excited about that. And then in order to consummate that deal, that transaction, they passed, uh, they exchanged a sandal. <laughs> Again, there's no notary republic for this kind of stuff. You know, there's, there's no title company. It was just like, Okay, I mean, that's how they kind of gave their word. It's like, okay, you're going to buy the land for this much money? Okay, give me your sandal. Okay, got it. Okay, now it's a deal. You should try that for lunch. You want to go to lunch? Yeah, okay, I'll meet you for lunch. Here's my shoe. And um, I don't know if, like, you show up for the shoe. I don't know what you do, but, but it was a deal. And everybody witnessed it, and it was done. And I want you just to think, if you've been with us for the last three weeks, I just want you to think about the journey these ladies have been on to finally get to this place where Boaz was free to exercise his Jewish right to redeem the property and marry Ruth. And that's what happened. Look at what happens. So Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. And they had a honeymoon. And after that, the, there's kids in here, y'all. Okay? But when you're married, it's perfectly good. Okay? And the Lord enabled her. This is amazing. The Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. Now, this is where I start getting excited. Remember, this is kind of the things where you have to really read the story closely. Wait a minute. Wasn't Ruth married for 10 years? This is before birth control. 
and she didn't have a child. And so there's this amazing thing that happens that God provided. Now, if you've ever struggled with infertility or understand that or know somebody, you get the heartache and the heartbreak that's associated with the hope desired and hopes that arise in month after month after month being diminished. I mean, you get this. I don't understand it firsthand, but I've walked with so many families that this is a struggle. This is a real deal. And this is no promise to anybody, but this is the idea, a miracle had happened. That this woman had her womb closed for whatever reason, whatever happened physiologically, and God healed her. And she conceived, and she had a son. And it was just an amazing thing. I mean, really, totally unexpected. Then the women of the area started praying for her. Look at what it says. Then the women said to Naomi, not to Ruth, but to Naomi, because Naomi was the problem. Blessed is the Lord who has not left you. Blessed is the Lord who has not left you. Without a redeemer today, you may, I'm sorry, and may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you one who restores life and sustains your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to this child. This this is amazing. I mean, here's the thing you've got to see in this story, but it's harder to see it in your own story. And the own story is, you're walking and you got a plan. And you like your plan. And there's a setback. And in the setback, that's when you begin to wonder. Remember Naomi in chapter 1? She wanted to change her name to bitter one. She's bitter. She says, God has turned his back on me. Three chapters later in a few years, look what's happened. You can't plan for this stuff. Naomi um, gives the impression that she's lost all hope and God gave her Ruth. They'd lost all provision, so God gave her a home. And when they faced poverty, God gave her a field. And when they needed a future, God gave them Boaz. And when they needed more, God allowed Boaz to marry I mean, it was over and over and over. I'm stuck. I'm without my resources. I'm as far as I can go. I'm dead. Your plan is out the door. It's a famous theologian named Mike Tyson. You heard of this guy? (laughs) I think he's right. I like Mike Tyson. He says everybody's got a plan until they're hitting the mouth. That's what happens to all of us. You think, you think Naomi and Ruth was sitting in Moab going, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back there. We're going to find us a rich young man, and we're gonna, uh, you're going to lure him into marrying you, and he's going to say that. No. When you're in a crisis, you know the time frame you're typically living by? One day at a time, sometimes one minute at a time. So they didn't have a plan other than the next step. Now, here's where I get really excited. So God gave him a child. Let's look at it. So they named this child Obed. And he is the father of Jesse. And the, Jesse is the father of King David. 
You think they had a plan in Moab? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go, and Ruth, here's the plan. We're going to name it and claim it in the name of Jesus. Here's what we're going to do. You're going to be the great-grandmother of a king for Israel. Nobody has that kind of mind. Obed is the grandfather of David, King David. Ruth is the great-grandmother. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. It's a quiz. Pay attention. West End, Missouri City, listen to me. There's another person that comes from the line of King David. This is a trick question. By the way, if you're new to church, which a lot of people are, when the pastor asks you a question and you don't know the answer, always shout Jesus. Okay? <laughs> Let's try that. Okay. Always. It's like, I don't know. Jesus. Okay. So, from the prophets, a promised Messiah would come. So who comes from the line of David? Jesus. Jesus. So you turn over to Matthew chapter 1, and you begin to read all those names you can't pronounce. And you'll find this very simple four-letter name in there. Her name is Ruth. The Moabitess, a foreigner. God restored this. He used a foreigner for this in the line of Jesus, our Redeemer. I mean, it's just amazing. There's also a harlot in there, Rahab. I mean, Jesus had a shady family. <laughs> and so do you. And God took something so tragic and so awful and made it so amazing and so beautiful. You know why over here that we're all rejoicing and this story ends so well? You know why this is supposed to build your faith and your trust in God? You know why this is supposed to change your perspective and give you hope in dark times? You know why this is so good? Because this was so bad. And without the bad, you don't appreciate the good. And you got to have hell on earth at times to find the grace and the mercy and the blessing of God for you to sense it. That's why kids don't get it. You know, your teenager doesn't get it. You don't know how lucky you are. Lucky? I'm not lucky. You have limited my data on my phone. <laughs> and you just wait a few years and they start having kids of their own. And you go, <laughs> pretty hard, ain't it? <laughs> oh, no, you're doing fine. Yeah, you're doing fine. Yeah. See, we got to have that. Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, that's what Jesus said in John. He said this way. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have, say it. You may have peace. You know what God wants for you? He wants you to have peace. He wants you to have peace. He wants you to be settled. But you're not going to find peace in your circumstances. In fact, that's what he says. In this world, you're going to have, what is it? You're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble, but take heart. There's more going on than you can see. I got a plan. It's a redemptive plan. You'll never figure it out. All you can do is walk step by step, and I'll order your steps, and I will 
provide for you. And there's going to be setbacks, but I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm going to be there with you. And I'm going to show you the way. And it's going to be good. And over here, you're going to rejoice. And you're going to say, I put that toilet in. (laughs) I had to go to Lowe's five times. But I put it in. It was a victory. And you're going to have markers like that in your life. And you're going to go, oh, man, you don't know. You don't know what I've had to go through to get to where I'm at. Everybody in business, young people especially in business, think you just show up and are successful. And, man, people say all the time, man, we'd love to have what you got at River I go, You don't want to walk where we walked. You don't want to pay the price that we paid. This is hard. It's supposed to be hard because God wants to provide. So what are you going through? Is your faith enough to sustain you? You see, you know, I'm so circumstantially controlled, quite frankly, that oftentimes I'm waiting for my circumstances to get better in order for me to feel better. And yet Jesus says, I've come to give you peace. So how does our faith bridge the gap when we have those setbacks and we don't see good things happening and we're waiting for the sun to come up and for the day to dawn and for victory to be won and all that stuff. Well, faith is really a practical thing. I think there's three things you got to believe. Here's the first one. You got to believe God is good. This is the easy one. Because you can, you can hopefully separate your circumstances from the nature and the character of God. You can say, God's good. God's, I get it. God, he ain't good to me right now, but he's good. I get it. Here's the harder part. God is at work. You got to believe that. You got to claim it. You got to say, God, I I know you're good and I know you're at work and I can't see it. I wish you'd show me. I'm looking. Where are you? But I know you're at work because I know you don't slumber. You don't need sleep and you're not running out of time. So I know you're at work. So you got to, that's faith. That's going to help you have peace that says, no, I know it's difficult. I've lost something. I did this. Something bad's happened, but God's at work. Here's the third thing. This is the hardest one. You got to believe God is for you, that God cares about you, and that God loves you. Just like he loved Naomi, just like he loved Ruth, just like he loved Boaz, just like he loved Elimelech, just like he loves you. He loves you. He wants the best for you. Now, your journey and your plan is completely different. But all along the way, you're going to have setbacks. You're going to have things happen in your life and the things in my life that I didn't get to vote on. And when that happens, how do you respond? I mean, come on, be honest. A lot of our mental health issues are connected with our circumstances and life being hard. And they're not connected to this idea that God's providing for me even in the midst of this trouble. And we hang our hat on the fact that things have got to work out and yet they never do. They don't work out the way they're supposed to. I was talking to a fellow yesterday or the day before, and he, uh, he's struggling. Man, his plan ain't working out. And, but he's got a plan for the future. And I was asking him about his plan. I said, well, that sounds like a great plan. It's a reasonable plan. It's a smart plan. It's a plan for his professional life, and he got this plan. Then I said, well, tell me about four or five years ago. Did you have a plan back then? Oh, yeah, man, my plan didn't work out. I planned this, and I planned that, and I planned that. I said, but you have a lot of confidence in this plan but that plan didn't work. And I, told, I said, well, I thought mostly. I didn't talk much. But, you know, I said, that's why our only hope can be in God and not our plan. 
You have to have a plan. Don't leave here going, I ain't got a plan. I don't know where I'm going to get my car, and wherever I land, I'm eating lunch. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> don't do that. That'd be dumb, okay? You got to have a plan. I'm just saying you got to have a loose grip on your plan. Because God's got a plan. And you can hope in his plan. So I know you didn't plan on being divorced. And I know you didn't plan on being bankrupt. Or I know you didn't plan on being unemployed. I know you didn't plan on being in this place that you're in. But you're here. It's a setback. It's a big one. For some of you, it's tragic. And it's awful. And I get it. And there is a time to grieve and cry out to God. And seek help. But God is at work. And God loves you. And God is good. And he's going to provide. And it's how you respond. Listen, I want the peace that passes understanding. And I don't want to have to wait until my circumstances get all in line with my hopes and dreams. I think this is why Paul said in Romans, he said it this way. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? I mean, he covered just about everything. You getting any of this hit home for you, you know? And somebody said, nakedness. Okay, whatever. And as it is written, for your sake, here's what Paul says, we face day all night. So Paul's saying, hey, because we began to follow Jesus, man, our life is in danger. Our faith is actually causing us to be in danger. If you've ever been to Rome, you see the Colosseum. I mean, that's a real thing. It's historic. So we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's how the world sees us. That's how we could see our lives. This would really get you down. But no, no, he says no. And all these things, all these things he just listed here. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors through him who loved us. Then he feels like we don't really understand. So he goes on. And he says, for I'm convinced that neither let death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, or any." Anything else in all of creation, including whatever it is that you and I are going through, will be able to separate us from the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus because we're his beloved children and he's going to provide for us and we can get through this setback and we're going to move on and we're going to have an eternal perspective and we're going to have a redemptive idea. But it won't be easy. Because you got to get in your car and you got to go back over to the lows and all the things you didn't remember and all the things you didn't get because you're, you didn't know anything and you got to pick it up and you got to tell the cashier, I'll probably be back. <laughs> and you got to keep going and going and going. That's the way it works. And in that, I got to finish. In that, there's peace. There's peace. There's real peace. There's a peace that passes understanding. There's a peace that you can have in your relationship with God that makes no sense to the world because you're going through a hard time. I'm not saying you fake it and say, oh, this is good. God's good. No, you say, this is hard, but God's with me. I'm going to have a peace that God's going to take care of me. Somewhere, this all makes sense to you and me in a tough time. That's why we do what we do. That's why we love this church, because we're in it together. Nobody's got to figure it out, and it ain't easy for anybody. But together, we're going to see God, and we're going to stand over here one day, and we're going to have a party and shout hallelujah 
Because we're going to look back like Naomi and Ruth must have done and say, look at all that God has done. Every time there was a stop sign, God provided a way to go forward. Every time. It didn't come on time, but it did come in due time. And all of a sudden, whoo, our faith explodes. Our life has purpose and meaning. And we can face, really, the impossible because of God. i got to finish. I'm so hungry right now. All right. I'm sorry I yelled at you today. I got excited, okay? So excited about this story. I'm telling you, it gives me such hope. Aren't you? hope, Man, such hope. Wow. All right. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Naomi and Ruth and their tragic story that ended in such a beautiful story. And that's our story, God. There's tragedy along the way. There's difficulty along the way. There's trouble along the way. But with every setback, God, we see your hand. We really do. So I just pray. If you're going through something right now, this is the time for you to surrender and say, okay, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to quit begging you, God, to be a part of my plan. I'd like to know a little bit of yours. And if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, whether you're in Most City or West End, you should do that. Trust God with your soul. Say, okay, God, I believe. Jesus died for me. I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. And he rose from the dead so I could have a relationship with you. And I want to give you my life. I don't know what that means, really, but I'm going to do it. I believe that's true. You're the redeemer. You're my redeemer. And I want you to live in my life. And I want to follow you. And Father, may we be found faithful in all that we do as we follow you to that promised land. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.